I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's 23.04 on the 14th of October 2018. And exactly 100 years ago, at this time... The German U-boat fired a torpedo that struck the TSS Dundalk midship and split her nearly in half, killing 20 people on board, many of them from this town, many of them around this area, Key Street, Dowdles Hill, Broughton Street and the Pint Road. They died about this time 100 years ago. And as the ship was sinking, some of them got into lifeboats and survived. Twelve of them survived. But the ship actually sank at ten past eleven. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Alan Bogan. I'm on the committee for the centenary of the SS Dundalk. We are gathered here on Sunday night at ten past eleven on the key wall outside the Spirit Store and we're here to commemorate uh, the sinking of the SS Dundalk. Ten past eleven, the time is significant because that's the time that the ship was torpedoed and sunk. Just to remind them exactly 100 years ago at the same time on the same day. I first believe. My name is Brian Walsh, I'm the curator here at the County Museum in Dundalk and we're just in the quiet moments before the opening of the exhibition on the sinking of the SS Dundalk uh, which is the centenary which will occur in two days time. Um, effectively what you have here is an, I suppose an element of an oversight as to the importance of the Dundalk in the greater scheme of things as we're looking at the impact and the role of the, the Dundalk and the Dundalk and Uri Steam Packet Company. 
the ship provided the opportunity for farmers as far away as Fermanagh to bring their ware to markets in Ardrossan, which brought it on to Glasgow, or even to Liverpool. So when the ship sank and was torpedoed, there were 20 people lost, but the net effect of that and the ripples were greater than that. Now, the, I suppose the interesting thing about it is that it happened about a couple of days, or just a few days after the sinking of the RMS Lanster, when well over 500 people died. In this instance, 20, as I said, 20 people died. But it's like everything, thing, it's the scale of these things that really, that, that really cut to the chase. You're talking about, we say, within a month, the war to end all wars was coming to an end. And I suppose whether, that, whether people knew that or not, the psychological effect of something like, we say bad enough that the Leinster fell, but the fact that you have two ships going down in a week, you can imagine, we can imagine our reaction in this day and age. So going back 100 years ago, it, the, 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 the effect psychologically could be multiplied on that type of thing. Will this war ever end? Why don't we get out? That type of thing. Um, so there's, that's all sort of there in the background of that. And then sort of said against that, there's so much change going on in Ireland and so many questions that are going to be decided in that sort of 1916, 1921 period. And that's really sort of just something again that's just happening and bubbling below that's going to rear its head at some stage. So the question of what's going to happen with Ireland, what's going to happen with Ulster, what's going to happen to the returned heroes. Life might have been very simple before the war. Now there's an awful lot more questions. Hello, I'm Charlie McCarthy, uh, chairman of the TSS Dundalk 1918 Commemoration Committee and uh, member of Old Dundalk Society and County Loud Archaeological Society and the Maritime Institute of Ireland. In 1837, the Dundalk Steam Packet Company started. Uh, their first ship was a ship called the Glasgow. She was a wooden paddle steamer. Uh, she started running to Liverpool and it, the Dundalk Steam Packet Company uh, eventually became, in um, 1871, it amalgamated with the Newry Steam Packet Company and became the Dundalk and Newry Steam Packet Company. It then operated, they developed into about four to five ships uh, from Uri to Uri and Dundalk to Liverpool and but uh, th- but uh, they were mostly paddle steamers but then um, in in the, the later 1800s they became propeller operated the Dundalk had twin screws and they were principally for carrying livestock and passengers most most ships and steam operated ships were were uh, their their nomenclature was SS which means steamship but the Dundalk was unique. She was the first ship of the company to have twin screws. She had two engines, twin screws. So she was uh, designated to be known as the TSS Dundalk. And that means twin screw steamer. They were the principal uh, source of employment around the quay because um, they needed firemen. Now, sailors, a sailor was sort of, uh, you, you had to train to be a sailor. You went on as a boy, and then you went on as ordinary seaman, then you became an able-bodied seaman, which was a sailor. But firemen, anybody could really be a fireman. Fireman was, had a, a technique, all right, but uh, it didn't need as much training. All they had to do was run up the, the, the road if they were stuck for a man and get the first man there and they met and said, there's a job on the ship, do you want it? And 
They employed about 300 men, is reckoned, principally from Dundalk and Newry, and the head office was in Dundalk. She was built in Glasgow in 1899. She averaged a speed of 15 knots. She made her maiden voyage from Gorok to Dundalk. I think it was the end of June 1889. And when she arrived in Dundalk, um, she met the best group coming out and uh, there was whistles blowing and greeting. But when she entered in past, in past the Navy Bank, the whole way up, the Navy Bank was crowded with people. The town of Dundalk were waiting for her. She was a big event at the time. She was the most modern ship in, in, in the Irish Sea at the time and very much admired. Engineers came from all over the world to look at her. She was perfect in every aspect, apparently. She was the pride of the town. She, she bore the town's name. Any ship in the Irish Sea was, was target during World War I and uh, there was no, no, safe, no ship safe really. Um, sailing ships, fishing boats, cattle ships, uh, were all targets for the for the U-boats uh, in dangerous area because um, the whole of the Irish Sea was patrolled by U-boats, especially the southern end of it. Uh, but um, eventually, as the war progressed, they went up uh, around the Isle of Man and the County Down coast. And at one stage, Dundalk Port was closed because um, there was a report of a submarine off the, the, the entrance to Dundalk Bay and the port closed for a couple of days. Um, so they, they were everywhere and it was a very, during the World War, the First World War now, Dundalk and, and all the ports, uh, any ships trained to them were, were taking a risk. Like this is war on an industrial scale. This is a situation where the Germans and the, the German Navy military believed that they could effectively starve the British um, war effort and if they by targeting merchant fleet ships and um, the idea was we do this there's the possibility that we'll hit American ships but if we do it properly we might get the starve the British the British and so therefore uh, before the Americans come on board or so was the, so the thinking went but um, the Germans changed their way of engagement so it used, it used to be a case of that the U-boat would surface uh, challenge the ship are you British? And then allow the opportunity for the crew to disembark and then the ship would be sunk. But then war became more. It's as simple as that. She was on her way from Liverpool to Dundalk in December 1917 and um, about halfway over, they spotted a submarine. So Captain O'Neill uh, called for steam down to the engine and the engineers put as much steam as they could build up and he turned to starboard and headed north towards the Isle of Man, knowing that there was uh, Navy ships around the Isle of Man, because there was a um, naval base uh, somewhere in the Isle of Man. He ran towards the Isle of Man at uh, full speed, zigzagging. But the submarine fired, uh, and um, they, 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 they shot back, but the guns couldn't do anything much, they couldn't... 
uh, hit, hit the submarine at all. So the other thing that Captain O'Neill decided to do was um, bl- blow smoke. He had smoke um, bombs. So they, they, they ignited those to create a screen. And with the screen uh, of smoke and zigzagging, he uh, eventually outran the sub and got within the safety area. Yeah, he was he he was he was praised for his for his efforts. It was a big uh, big achievement to to escape because very very few ships escaped. Once the submarine uh, saw you or got the, the, they were on the surface, they were very fast, really, and very very few ships escaped them. So. Captain Hugh O'Neill was born in Cologne to a seafaring family and went to sea at 17 and spent um, most of his time uh, on sailing ships and uh, steamships. He was all over the world and all five continents. But in 1903 he married, so he joined uh, Fishers of Newry initially. But in 1911 he joined the Dundalk and Newry Steam Packer Company and then in 1912, he joined the SS Dundalk as first mate. And then later that year, he was appointed full master of the ship. My name is Anne Howard, and I'm a granddaughter of Captain Hugh O'Neill. He was master of the SS Dundalk when the ship was torpedoed on the 14th of October 1918. The commemoration committee, initially uh, Desmond Casey, who is uh, another grandson of Captain Hugh O'Neill, felt that something should be done to commemorate the sinking of the Dundalk. So he got in touch with Brian Walsh, the curator of the museum, to discuss something happening for the centenary. So the museum agreed that they would do an exhibition. So we've, roughly in total, we've got about 20, believe it or not, uh, exhibition items on display, um, all either pertaining specifically to the SS Dundalk, to the aftermath, or the... Um, are the actual Dundalk and Newry Steam Company. So the first item here is probably, the, in many ways, it's, 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 quite, um, it's quite specific. And your, uh, it's, the, it's a ship's compass, but it's not a simple ship's, ship's compass. It was the compass that was on the SS Dundalk when it was torpedoed. And basically the sh- story is that the man who was the first mate, John Joseph Higgins, literally just went, uh, once the torpedoes hit, made a dash, grabbed the compass and brought it with him and he was one of the lucky ones to survive. During the, the, the First War, what they called the Spanish flu became epidemic and in, in, it, it spread down from Belfast down and hit Dundalk first and it went all over the country in 1918. And But nearly every family got a touch of it and many, many people from uh, the area died. And uh, on the... The voyage that she was making, and there were three or four of the crew members struck, and um, members of the family uh, took their place, and friends took their place, and total strangers took their place. So there was members of the crew missing that should have been on it, and other crew members that should not, shouldn't have been there were on it. So um, it caused a lot of upset and death and misery in Dundalk and all over Ireland, anyhow. Um, maybe we'll just come over to here. I, almost, it, it, I suppose really it's a, it's a heartbreaking story. This is a dead man's penny belonging to a man called Vincent Morgan. Now, Vincent, his story is particularly apt and um, I suppose ultimately depressing to a, to, a greater, uh, to a greater extent. He was the man who always wanted to go to sea. His parents weren't as inclined to um, allow him to fulfil his dreams and aspirations, but he'd been sailing once, once and twice in that. 
the story is that he was working in a bar as a barman and word came through that they were looking for somebody on the SS Dundalk to just sort of just to cover the trip over to Liverpool and back. So I said, Vincent, come on, here's your opportunity. And he leapt at it. Le- just basically threw down the apron and away with him to, to the SS Dundalk. Made it to Liverpool, no problem. Unfortunately, wasn't as lucky came, coming back and he was one of the fatalities. The sad aspect, or the particularly emotional aspect of it, is that his father was actually in Liverpool. He himself was a sailor and he came back and he arrived back the following morning only to hear stories about what happened to the Dundalk. He thought, well, thank God. The story goes as something along the lines of that, well, thank God Vincent isn't there because he's working in the bar. And then slowly but surely the story developed and evolved and the realisation dawned that he was one of the ones, who, one of the souls who went down. So absolutely heartbreaking, to be perfectly honest. I suppose what's really interesting here is the dead man's penny is typically bronze, but this has been um, electroplated. And it's just presented by the family in a, its own cabinet on that. And I suppose what's really awe-inspiring about it is the fact that how the story within a family is respected, curated and cared for. And then at some stage, the, the decision was made, listen, we've got, to, we've got to take care of this, uh, but we can no longer do so. But we can give it to further generations to actually understand what happened in their town to the ship uh, of the town's name. And the family gave it here to the museum. She left Liverpool on the 14th of October 1918 uh, in the afternoon and um, it was a normal enough voyage I suppose Uh, but at about 11 o'clock or soon afterwards the um, U-boat attacked her and uh, it was very fast. She she fired two two torpedoes as far as I know. One hit midship, and uh, it split the ship in half, and uh, she sank in uh, five ten minutes, uh, very very fast. We know that Captain O'Neill was on the bridge and um, he was last seen uh, on the bridge as the ship went down. So in the tradition of the sea, he went down with his ship. The tradition is that the the captain never leaves a ship and uh, he certainly didn't leave his ship. He went down with it. Uh, Indeed, one or two of the crew had actually been sucked down with the ship as it sank and came back to the surface and were picked up in the in the, the lifeboats. There were two lifeboats. Both of them were damaged, and um, there were two or three people in them, and they were able to pick up anyone else in the, in the water. One man was suffered very badly. Um, he, he had only his night clothes on him, and it was a cold, miserable night, quite windy and quite rough. There was a good bit of see around. So 
so it was a horrible, miserable night. Black, dark, and uh, could see nothing. So uh, they were they were lucky that there was twelve rescued at all, but uh, twenty people went to the bottom uh, on that day. The fishing vessel, uh, the Stormcock, uh, rescued one and landed them in Hollyhead. And the Douglas, an Isle of Man passenger ship, uh, rescued the other boat and took them to Douglas in the Isle of Man, where they were they were looked after in both ports and shipped home. Um, so they they were home in Dundalk, I think, about two days later. And that's it. Was only when they came home that the people in Dundalk were really sure of what had happened. The Carlingford under Commander Captain Hughes had actually passed through the, the, the wreck site and had slowed down and uh, was about to rescue some of the people but he saw the, the submarine and had no other obligation but to turn and try and save his own ship. But when she arrived in Dundalk the next morning um, and saw that the Dundalk wasn't there, he realised then that it must have been the Dundalk. I, I suppose that maybe if we take sort of these two items here, we've got a, we say a, um, just a ledger and collection of checks from the, um, what would you call it, we say just the disaster fund, just where our families who were affected by, 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 the, by the torpedo and th those who were killed, to make sure that their families were taken care of. So therefore you can see here the checks that were made out to them and the actual register and the inventory of what was given to whom and that type of thing. When, the, when it struck, they, they were planning to raise about £3,000 at the time, which was roughly about 30, uh, well, several hundred thousand euro in, in today's money. Um, the company on the first night gave 500 guineas. By Christmas, they had uh, £6,000 raised. They, they nearly right away, uh, Cardinal Logue uh, was the instigator of it. Um, he, he started a fundraising episode to, to raise funds for the family that were left. And the company, of course, they, they organised it under uh, for his guidance. And uh, the company, I think, donated £500 nearly right away. And then um, there was a lady in the office, the head office, a lady called Sarah Toll. She was a clerical lady and um, she took on to uh, administrate it. And uh, she not only administrated the fund, divided, divided and uh, made sure that every family member got uh, a share in proportion. She made sure that they, they were, uh, there were other funding monies available she, she, she got uh, access to those and uh, looked after the family and um, the money was donated for a number of years afterwards uh, for, for the, 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 to help the families raise the children and uh, burial in some cases. But um, money came from all over the world, um, as far as we know. Certainly all the, the companies, all the seafaring companies, all the industries, all contributed to it and uh, all the, the churches donated to it. And um, this, this lady, uh, Sarah Toll, um, went to an awful lot of lengths to, to make sure all the families were looked after. Sarah Toll was the board secretary for the Dundalk and Uri Steam Company. 
and she became the driving force in relation to the um, we said driving monies, raising monies and funds for the for the disaster fund. So a year after the the disaster, this magnificent piece. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This was presented to her, signed by families uh, and say relatives of those who perished, just to, I suppose, articulate their expression of gratitude over what she had done for them. So I suppose like everything else, big stories have a, 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 an expiry date. And I suppose while people had forgotten and while the story had drifted off the pages and that type of thing, she kept making sure that people were getting all of their entitlements either through the um, through government or through fundraising and that type of thing. So just something very personal, something very personalised to what is undoubtedly a, a magnificent woman. Well, the company um, the, a year or so later erected a memorial window in St. Patrick's Church in memory of the people lost and, and the disaster, and a brass plaque was uh, erected underneath the, the 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 window with the names of those lost. All except one man, the gun, one of the gunners, a man called Harold Gray from Swansea, and nobody knew why his name wasn't on it. And uh, myself and Alan Gray, who's passed away now in the Old and Dark Society, twenty five years ago. We had a, a ceremony then commemorating the 75th anniversary, but um, we approached uh, the parish priest at the time and we got permission to add his name, but we had to get permission from the family. There was no internet at the time when Alan and I were doing it. And we found his ho- family home and I got people over in Swansea to look, but we couldn't find any uh, family member. So it sort of died a death until this commemoration and um, Anne Howard Anne went on the internet and lo and behold she found the family and we'd always assumed that his name wasn't on the plaque for religious reasons and that maybe the family objected to his name being on a Roman Catholic church 
But lo and behold, it wasn't that at all. It was a simple uh, explanation. His parents had died. And when the letter went to the family, asking permission for his name to be put on the plaque, it came back unanswered. I think they sent two or three letters to Swansea looking for permission and the letters came back. So because they had no permission, they couldn't put his name on it. But now we erected a new plaque with his name and the family's permission. They were delighted to have it. We decided we couldn't uh, add his name to the old plaque because it's over 100 years. So we we got permission from from the church and um, we put a new plaque with his name on it and his relative was able to come over from, from Wales with his wife and unveil it. And they were delighted to have it and we were delighted to have them. So initially my role in it was mainly to uh, try and get in touch with a lot of the relatives that we didn't know anything about. So I started to research a lot of the families. I was very lucky I had an old scrapbook which my grandmother had and she had cut out the original newspaper cuttings from the time which gave a lot of information and we were able to work with that, putting together who the families were, the story and everything that went with it. Marie Ignew, which she's fantastic energy and ideas, and she came up with the idea that uh, if we could lay a wreath over the site of the wreck, it would be wonderful. The Subaqua Club had already done a dive there some years before that, and so they knew the location of the wreck. So Marie got in touch with the um, steam packet company on the Isle of Man, and they said, they, would they deviate slightly from their normal route over the site? So they agreed to do that. So on a beautiful day in June, 26 of us, including some children, went on the Isle of Man ferry and they went over to the site of the wreck. They actually stopped the ferry, which was very unusual because you don't normally stop a ferry, but the weather was so fantastic. And Captain Rooney came down and uh, led the prayer while the families put flowers uh, over the side of the wreck, one for every one of those who lost their lives on that occasion. And it was absolutely a fantastic occasion, very moving and very poignant. And it was just, it was just so special, it really was. My name is Paddy Agnew. Uh, I'm a founder member of Dundalk Subacqua Club. I'm also a member of the fire service in Dundalk. I'm a station officer with the fire service also a professional diver and a recreational diver. While Dundalk Subaqua Club was set up way back in 2000, the reason why it was set up was there was lots of lads from around the town were in the Drada Subaqua Club, the Newry Subaqua Club at the time, and we decided then with a swimming pool coming online here in Dundalk that we'd set up our own club. We needed a pool for the training. <clears throat> it was the main the main thing uh, is the training of, of divers. So it's going very well at the moment. It's 44 members in the club. And within that club, then, we have a search and recovery unit, um, which is all voluntary. And the search and recovery unit is specialised divers within the club, trained for search and rescue of and recovery of people that's gone missing in the sea, rivers or lakes in this country. I, I'm, I started diving back in 79, so it's, it's been a while. I'm not going to say how many years it is, but it's been a long time. Um, I've been diving wrecks, uh, mostly uh, a wreck diver, I would have to say I am. Um, Donegal, a uh, number of wrecks up there, and there's lots of other ones from the Odd in Cork, the Leinster off Dublin, and then here locally in, in uh, County for Block, uh, the Connemara Retriever, 
Falavi and the Crusader. They're all the number of wrecks that I've dived and lots of other ones as well. The, the idea of going to dive the SS Dundalk was actually my idea. Um, for a very, very long time, I'm going back 30 years um, when I was in the Maritime Institute of Ireland branch here in Dundalk with some people, including Charlie McCarthy at the time, he, he was in the branch. We always spoke about the SS Dundalk, where it was sunk, uh, how far away is it. Nobody had any idea where it was. I started to research it <clears throat> then after that for a long number of years, coming up with nothing, blanks everywhere, check this wreck, check that wreck check records, GPS readings. We could never identify um, the SS Dundalk until I got a call from a friend of mine in the Isle of Man, uh, Steve Cowley, and he is a professional diver as well. I met him in my offshore days and um, he told me that he had been diving lots of wrecks in the Isle of Man as recreational diver as well, he is. And he said to me on the phone one day, he says, I think I have found the SS Dundalk. And I says, brilliant, that's great, I'll come and see you. So went to the Isle of Man, had a meeting with him, spoke to him, and uh, I asked him how he knew it was the SS Dundalk, and he uh, showed me a, an item from the wreck, confirming that it was the SS Dundalk. So that's really how it was founded, how it was researched. Um, then I took the idea back to our lads in the club, being the Dundalk Sabacqua Club, uh, I ran it by our committee, we talked about it um, and we decided then among ourselves that we'd organise um, a trip there, an expedition to dive the uh, SS Dundalk. So it really took legs then from there, it took off from there. We contacted some relatives at the time, uh, what we were going to do. Uh, we contacted the town council, they came on board, um, lot, lots of people came on board at the time. Um, the council sponsored a plaque. We got a plaque made up with the names of the people to, to put on the wreck. Um, we decided to make a casket, a steel casket, and get some items from the relatives to put into the casket and lay it on the wreck as well. We also done some live uh, footage uh, from, from the wreck and uh, we went then in 2009 and executed that uh, plan. The location of the wreck, first of all, just to put it into perspective, if you look at the Isle of Man in the middle of the Irish Sea, and you can imagine where it is, it's just south of, 17 miles south of the Isle of Man. Uh, I'll never forget it when Steve said to me uh, on, the, on the monitor in the wheelhouse of the boat, you could just see the level of the seabed and then you could see this big uh, rise up off the seabed, which was, he says, that is the wreck there of the SS Dundalk. So we anchored up and uh, we executed the dive then, walking in pairs then. We uh, ascended down to the wreck, down the shot line, uh, to a depth of approximately 48 metres, which is quite deep for uh, recreational diving. Uh, visibility pretty good on, on the way down to the wreck, but on the bottom, because of where it's lying, it's, it's on a, a mud, mud ground, which is prawn ground for fishing. So the prawns, they, they live in the mud, so that's um, where the wreck just landed on the, on the mud. And visibility pretty poor, I have to say. Uh, approximately about uh, two feet fizz out in front of you, just two feet. So um, now the wreck, as people will know, 
was torpedoed by a German sub, so it's in three pieces, the wreck. The bow is away from, from the midships. The midships is on its own with the boiler and the stern is in another location as well. So it's just basically like a big scrapyard. That's, that's what it's like. But you can still identify some items on the wreck. We laid the plaque and put the, the capsule down on the wreck then as well. And then uh, we took some artefacts, one or two artefacts back to with us from, from the wreck for the people of Dundalk and put them in the museum, which are currently on display in the museum in Dundalk. The SS Dundalk was the one I always wanted to dive because I'm a proud Dundalk man and so are the other people on the crew that dived the wreck. But just when you're going down to the wreck, you realize it goes through your mind that these are the people from your hometown. This is the ship from the hometown that was sunk during the Great War. And it's just, uh, just that feeling you get that you're doing something and putting something back uh, on the wreck, obviously, like the plaque and, and the, uh, the casket. So I'm just delighted that before I part this world that I, I have done actually that. Hello, my name is Maria Doyle. I'm a teacher in the CBS Primary School in Dundalk and I'm also a local county councillor. I have um, a history degree and have a huge interest in both national and local history. And in my teaching day-to-day uh, -day, um, in the school, I try and get the children very involved in aspects of local history, particularly those that might have impacted on their families. And so when it came to, to 2014 and there was a lot of talk around the centenary of the beginning of the First World War, I felt I would, it would be a good idea or it would be interesting for the children to start looking at aspects of the war. I did a, you know, a series of lessons on the war itself and the outbreak of war, but to bring that back to, to local history and, and if possible to them, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to connect it with their families as such. But part of that uh, was to look at the sinking of the SS Dundalk. I thought that... Um, the children would find that very interesting um, because in our school we, we go to um, St. Patrick's Cathedral regularly for communions, confirmations, confessions and so on and there is a plaque in the cathedral to um, to commemorate those that had died in sinking of Manessa Dundalk and I thought well we go there all the time and we probably don't even look or notice that that is there well, I brought them to see it and they became fascinated and some of the children then recognised the fact that they had the same surname as, as some of the people on the plaque. So um, when we were learning, I, I mean, I did encourage the children to ask at home and to find out if they had had anybody um, that had, had gone to war or had returned from war or hadn't returned. And uh, two of the children came back with information uh, that they had had ancestors um, that had been on the SS Dundalk and um, Amy as grandfather had been already involved with with the original commemoration and so on and she was able to take in a widow's penny for Peter Matthews who had died on the sinking of the SS Dundalk and she also had um, an ancestor James Chute who survived the sinking of the SS Dundalk and then Connor uh, came in to school and said that um, I think his grandparents had told him that an ancestor, Edward Johnson, had also been on the SS Dundalk and had unfortunately been, been killed on the SS Dundalk. And he was able to tell me in and around where this man was from. And we thought that perhaps he was um, a past pupil of, of the CBS primary. So I was able to access the, the old rule books 
that we had and I was able to indeed find him on the rule book of the of the CBS primary school cross-check a few things to make sure it was the, the right person and it was so we were able to connect him to our school to then the SS Dundalk and then to Connor's family you know so it was kind of triangle there and um, which we just thought was so interesting because you know you're looking at the rule book when this boy's only seven or eight then he goes on to be man then he goes on to to, to die in the way that he did and be come part of local history in that way. So Connor, I, I think, was fascinated by that too. And uh, was very engaged then in, in, in that. And I think it really enhanced the learning um, to be able to connect it back in that way. It was a kind of project of discovery for them. Um, I think that's really important in teaching history. It's not just a series of, le- of, of years and dates and, and learning off, but to, to kind of peel back the layers and find out what they can find out about their own families and where they come from. When the museum launched, they decided to go on the Friday night of the weekend of the commemoration events. Then on the Saturday, Newry Maritime Association had been working with our committee all along because they wanted to honour the uh, Captain O'Neill's involvement and the, New- the Newry end of things, particularly because it was a Dundalk and Newry Steam Packer Company. So they organised with the O'Neill family in Cologne. Uh, an unveiling of a plaque to Captain Hugh O'Neill in Cologne on the Saturday. That was the 13th of October. Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, I'd like to welcome you all to Cologne to this Newry Maritime tribute uh, to Captain Hugh O'Neill, who was the master of the SS Dundalk, which was sunk on the 14th of October 1918, just a month before the end of World War One. It's a hundred years tomorrow, uh, and as part of the centennial weekend, uh, we're very pleased to host this event in Cologne today. Tomorrow on the 14th, the day of the centenary, at 10 past 11, the Dundalk was sunk, as you know, by U-90, a German submarine. Uh, which was commanded by a man called Henrik Jess. And Henrik Jess was a very ruthless but successful operator within the uh, German Navy. Uh, he was accredited with 44 sinkings uh, in his career. He's probably remembered by the evidence of the uh, victims or the survivors uh, who described his clinical overview of the act that he was after committing when he sunk the ship. Jess then surfaced and surveyed the scene for about five minutes and he saw the lifeboats with the survivors, he heard the shouts and he watched clinically and then uh, the sub dived and the 12 survivors were left uh, for the next 16, 17 hours. So there were 12 survivors, 20 were lost, but today, A century later, that anguish has been replaced by quiet pride and dignity. And we stand here today and we're proud, we're proud to remember the victims of SS Dundalk, and in particular here in Cologne, Captain Hugh O'Neill.
When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, we give our today. The ecumenical service on the Sunday was absolutely fantastic event. The church was packed. We had colour parties from all the emergency services there. And we, we also, as part of that, unveiled two new plaques. One for the Commemoration Committee themselves to honour the 100th anniversary. And the other one was for Harold Gray. He was one of the gunners on board the ship. We had managed to contact the Gray family in Wales and they were delighted to be part of uh, this. And in fact, uh, Peter Gray came over to unveil the plaque for his granduncle in at the commemoration service, the ecumenical service on the Sunday, which was marvellous. My name is uh, Peter Gray. I've travelled over from Swansea to, to, to celebrate the commemorations of the Dundalk, SS Dundalk, which, which, was, which was sunk 100 years ago by, by the German submarine. Alan Gray, who was a gunner on the ship who perished, who was my great uncle. So, so, so that's the reason that we've um, come over this weekend to celebrate the 100 years of the sinking of the SS Dundalk. Um, I'm Joy, uh, Peter's wife. We, uh, we found out obviously about Harold from um, being contacted through, we've been doing the family tree and ancestry and um, it was Harold's first um, voyage on the ship and unfortunately it was only four weeks before the end of the war and um, the ship went down and he died at the age of 18 which is very sad. Um, well, it's lovely to be here to think that he's remembered after all this time and Peter tomorrow is unveiling a plaque in the cathedral um, so Harold's name will be added to the list um, which has been missing for the last hundred years so it's fantastic that he's remembered now at this time. commemoration events we decided on a memorial on the Navi Bank. Now the Navi Bank was picked specially because that was the last place that the crew would see on their way leaving Dundalk. We then unveiled it on the 11th of November which is Armistice Day 
and the weather was fantastic and a huge crowd came down to the Navy Bank for the unveiling. The Coast Guards did a sail past. All 32 names are on that. Those who lost their lives and those who survived. And we felt it was very important that all 32 names go on because the 32 people on board that night were all part of the story of the sinking of the SS Dundalk. How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed Through This documentary was produced by Little Road Productions Limited for LMFM Radio and funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.